0: Welcome to the Revenue Collective Podcast. My name is Casey Lett-Gordon, and I'm your host. Today, I am very excited. I get to sit down with Graham Collins, who is the head of growth for Quotapath. This is a special session because Quotapath is actually our sponsor for this month. Quotapath is a commission tracking software built by salespeople for salespeople. And after talking to Graham, I get it. If you wake up in a cold sweat dreading the commissions process, Quotapath is for you. Quotapath provides commission transparency for everyone involved while motivating reps to sell more. Plus, it's so easy to onboard, it'll be running before your next commission cycle. Ditch the spreadsheets and formulas, simplify commission calculation at Quotapath.com. Today, Graham and I are going to talk about how to actually build comp plans. What should a career trajectory for an SDR look like? How do you make sure there's transparency and alignment And how do you deal with it when there's not? Graham keeps it real, but he also gives some very tangible, very helpful tips for anybody that is in an SDR role or leading SDR teams. So with that, let's get going. Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Collective podcast. My name is Casey Lett-Gordon, and I'm your host. Today, I have the chance to sit down with Graham Collins. Graham is currently the head of growth for Quotapath, which, if you listened at the top of our episode, is also our sponsor. Photopath is a sales first commission tracking tool and Graham describes himself as a jack of all trades working in sales marketing operations and waxing poetic about comp plans, which I'm very excited about because I think it is one of the most essential parts of the work we do, but it's often one of the most complicated. In Graham's previous life, he ran a 45 person SDR team as the director of SDR at TrendKite located in Austin. Today, Graham is coming to us from Maine with his wife and two dogs. He's very passionate about good comp plans, craft beer, and woodworking. So we have our very own Revenue Collective, Ron Swanson, here. Welcome, Graham.
1: Hi there. How are you?
0: I am doing good. So I I have to start because I also have two dogs who I just had to put outside because they were acting like absolute nut job (laughs) what kind of dogs do you have
1: um so i have two cattle dog mixes so they're blue healer um australian cattle dog mixes um they're a couple of uh couple of mutts but but uh, i love them
0: i have a very specific caricature in my head now you are in maine you're woodworking you have your cattle dogs like i i'm looking at you right now you're rocking like a usa sweatshirt so there (laughs) is this awesome image of you in my head that i i hope our conversation lives up to.
1: You. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll hope I, I live know. up to it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Graham. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what your world looks like today. Obviously you're with Quotapath, and um, want to hear a bit about the company, but also a bit about like your role and what day to day looks like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, my title is head of growth, which as I, I alluded to, or you alluded to is kind of a, a jack of all trades. I tell people that I do a job until we hire people who are better at it than I am, and then I let them take over. So currently, I'm focusing on a bit of our marketing stuff. So some content, some um, podcasts, and we just did a Revenue Collective webinar um, recently. And I also focus a bit on sales and customer support and account management. But a, a big thing that I've been focusing on recently are compensation plan consultations that I've been doing with a bunch of uh, folks from Revenue Collective. I think i have at probably about 50 at this point where I sit down and just do a deep dive into people's compensation plans as they're building new ones, as they're reviewing their old compensation plans and quotas. And oftentimes, especially for VPs of sales, they don't really have anybody to bounce those ideas off of. And so um, that's sort of one of the, the things that I'm really passionate about right now.
0: I can appreciate that so much. I put I, in a past life ran a sales organization and I think that was one of the most challenging pieces, especially as the organization grows, because what might've been a comp plan for a few people as you scale might need to look differently, different needs of the organization. And so I think to be able to not just have a platform like a quota path, but also the consultation and, and that human element to talk through it, I think is pretty powerful. So when you say that you're passionate about it, usually passion comes from some experience. Tell me, tell me, maybe what was either good or bad about some comp plans in your in your past, and, and what drove you to actually make this a passion of yours?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my previous role, I worked at a company in Austin called Trendkite, where we were a, a PR and, and communications analytics platform that allowed brands to track where they're being talked about in the news and what kind of impact that was having on their their even the revenue. So that was what we did, and I ran the SDR team there. But prior to that, I worked in sales, um, worked in sales management. Uh, have always been on the the sales side of things, and I've seen a lot of comp plans. I've built a lot of comp plans, and I've built some pretty terrible comp plans. I I can tell people exactly. Appreciate what, that vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can. Uh, it allows me to tell people what not to do. So you you said it at the top there. We compensation is is the major reason that salespeople do what they do a lot of the time, um, is to, to earn money, but it's one of the most misunderstood and, and poorly executed functions of their job. Um, it, it's almost an afterthought for a lot of people. Um, we spend all of this time on positioning and marketing and, and prospecting and cold calling. And, and once you finally get to the end result, oftentimes people don't know how much they're going to get paid on deals. Um, and so I, that's, ties in with my my role currently at Quotapath, but uh, it's been a, uh, a long journey to get there.
0: Yeah, I, I think that is so powerful. And I really, I mean, I felt it maybe anecdotally, but I don't know that I've had it crystallized just like you said, because the sales cycle oftentimes becomes the focus and the end state is what you hope you get to. And then the compensation comes there. But there's not a lot of time, even in negotiations, early stage, because a lot of times, especially a lot of our members are early stage companies or growth stage companies that sometimes you're being offered roles where it says, you know, here's the starting place, but we'll figure it out as we get in. And I think that gray area can be so confusing. And so I would love for us to take this conversation a bit from both you know, SDR, the, the actual reps who are maybe informing this and what they should be thinking about, as well as the people who are responsible for creating these organizations, similar to roles that you've had in the past where you're leading teams having to develop these. So, you know, let's maybe start with, let's start with the, the leaders of groups and let's talk a bit about maybe some of the pains. We'll, we'll get people some like virtual head nodding as they're driving in their car right now. Like, yes, that is my pain. And then we'll talk about some of the, the actual reps and things they can think about.
1: Yeah, certainly.
0: Excellent. All right. So talk to me about like, where do you start with an organization when it comes with let's design a comp plan, right? I'm building out a sales organization, or maybe I have one, but I'm revising this. What is the starting place?
1: Yeah. So really the, the starting place that, that I always ask is what, what do we want to, what do we want to get out of our compensation plan? Oftentimes the answer is sales, um, and and that's fine. That's great. Okay, wonderful. Do then we mean you're...
0: revenue? Do we mean attention? Yeah. Logo? Like what? What do those mean in sales?
1: Yep, exactly. And that's that's the follow up question: is what does that oh. mean? Does that mean revenue? Does it mean ARR? Does it mean total contract value? Does it just mean logos? Oftentimes with with small organizations the average contract value, the revenue doesn't matter nearly as much. It's the new logos because they're raising around and they want to have all of these fancy logos on their pitch deck. So that that's really the, the question is to say like, where do you want to get, do you want, do you, do you want to do revenue? Do you want to do ARR? Is it recurring revenue? Um, do
0: you find that most people know that answer
1: for the most part, they know it, but they haven't really like thought about it a ton. They haven't okay. really been, they haven't really asked that question of themselves they just, they think in their head sales, you know, we want to generate revenue. And then when I say, okay, is it, is it long-term revenue? Is it short-term revenue? Is it upfront revenue? And so once we define that, that's when we can dive a little bit deeper into the how to compensate your reps accordingly.
0: Yeah. And when I think about quota paths, we'll talk about that because that's, you know, that's the world you're living in right now who is a good customer for you all? What are the kinds of companies that you're working with? And, um, you know, is there a sweet spot that you all play?
1: Yeah, for sure. So my, it it may just be because this is my background, um, but where we've seen the most success is in in those high growth, high tech startups. They don't necessarily have to fit that. We have some of my favorite clients are, are solar panel sales companies. But a lot of the High growth, high tech, people who are adding sales reps, people who are trying to standardize their compensation, make sure that they're competing, especially if you're in a, a competitive market like Atlanta or like in Austin. You have to to make sure that you're competitive, but fair and and making sure that the the sales make sense for the company and the reps.
0: I'm curious when we think about structuring a plan, I think that comp can certainly, I think many people get into sales for the, the earning potential, right? And, and the motivation around that I have found, and maybe you can correct me or validate here, but I have found that money or compensation can mean different things too. It can mean value of an employee. It can mean that I am re- being wanting to be retained. It could be the winning aspect of it, right? I like to have incentives that I'm going after are there certain aspects that you look at as like an individual level of SDRs or what a team is comprised of when you're thinking about comp?
1: Yeah. So when thinking about motivation of salespeople, whether it's SDRs or, or AEs, even VPs of sales, I look at kind of a a matrix of motivation and you have Public versus private, and money cash versus yeah. uh, pride, and so you have these these four quadrants that people f- generally fall into. Repeat
0: those, so you have yeah. money versus pride, mm-hmm. and then public versus private. So yeah. public recognition versus private, maybe compensation yep. or of boys or of girls,
1: kind of thing. Yeah. So um, so public money is kind of the easiest example. It's the person who drives the the. Fast car and wears the fancy watches and and wants everybody to see all of the money that they make and that's a, a really big driver for some salespeople and kind of the you know the the hackneyed view of a salesperson is like oh they're exactly they're it's just the caricature the so to speak exactly see. yep yeah. um, and then you have the private money people who are who are actually a really good portion of salespeople and some of the best salespeople they're the people who want to have a nice house who want to who want to have nice things who don't care how flashy it is they just want to drive a, a nice, reliable car because it's, yeah. it's good for them and it may be more expensive. And then you have the, the public pride people who are the ones who smile as they're ringing the gong or love when they get shout outs publicly. And the private pride people are the ones who, who hold themselves accountable, who hit their quota every month because that's their job and they want to, you know, they, they feel good about themselves when they do that. So there, there's all different ways of of motivating and and compensating those people as well.
0: And do you recommend? We'll we'll stick with the high growth tech oriented companies because yeah. you know to your point that that's where you all see at least a good portion of your customers. Do you see that a company should have a singular comp plan, or should it be determined and and varied based on what the individual reps might need? And I think that's my hypothesis is if you're managing 45 people like you did in your last gig that might be really challenging and so i'm i'm curious how you get enough structure that it makes sense for a company but enough flexibility that individuals feel seen and and appreciated and and you know catered to so to speak
1: yeah for sure so i'm a big proponent of standardized compensation plans across the board Um, it can be for specific roles so you have a senior you have a a junior sdr senior sdr junior ae senior ae but everybody who has the same title has the same base salary has the same exact compensation plan i'm a big fan of this for a bunch of reasons transparency for reliability or, or consistency so you know what you could earn when you move into the next role and why you would do that but the major one for me is is that if you have different plans for different people in general, now I'm not accusing anybody of doing this intentionally, but you end up underpaying specifically women and, and people of color. And so there's a bunch of studies about that. I encourage everybody to take a look at their compensation plans. If they're not standardized, ask yourself why. And oftentimes it's, oh, they negotiated this base salary and then they, they care more about this than that. And that may be the case, but take a look at it and, and understand that you may be underpaying specific people.
0: I, I love that perspective, honestly, and I'm a woman in business and hadn't really thought about it in that sense of the benefit of standardization. It creates a culture in which there's clear paths for individuals. They can opt in if that's motivating to them, I assume, into a company or culture. And then I imagine it's a lot less headache for the manager. Right, like you, you're not having to worry about these nuances. It's pretty straightforward. Do you ever find that there's pushback within negotiations to say that this is like our standard model across all employees? Like, is that ever a detour?
1: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And when I joined Trendkite, I was the second sales hire and the tenth employee at, at Trendkite, and ended up growing a team. We had 250 employees before a, a, an acquisition a couple of years ago for 225 million dollars, and so we but we had the standardized plans the entire time. Um, when I joined as the second sales hire, I was trying to negotiate more and they were like, no, we have a standard, standard uh, compensation plan, even though I was the second person. So I think just laying that out as, as a standard from the beginning and having a good explanation behind it. It's not because we don't want to pay you more. It's because of those things that I mentioned. Transparency, a clear career trajectory. You want to earn more? Okay, come in kill it for three months, you'll get promoted to a senior AE and you'll make even more than what you're trying to negotiate.
0: I love that. That to me is... Is so powerful. And especially as we see a necessary but increasing conversation around pay inequalities, to be able to have this is something that's very tangible for people to do, to review your compensation plans and to set forth something that says we're creating equal playing field. Everyone is going to have the same earning potential to start and performance then is going to drive how people are, are earning. I, I think that's fascinating.
1: I have seen actually Um, an interesting model as well. Yeah, yeah, a a couple of um, organizations I've seen have an interesting model where you can, it's not a negotiation, but it's a, you you get to choose your base salary. And your base salary in software specifically, there's kind of this rule of thumb of of a 5X on target earnings to quota. So if you're making $100,000 per year, Your 5X would be, you'd have a $500,000 a year quota. And that would be it. Then that's on a 50 50 base and commission split. So I have seen a couple models where it says, like, you can take whatever base salary you want. You can have a $100,000 base salary, which means you have $100,000 of commission potential, but your quota is a million dollars. As opposed to taking half of that, you have half of the quota. And so I have seen that model before, which is interesting. It allows somebody to, Kind of choose their own destiny. I haven't done any research as to the whether that does away with or or encourages pay inequality. So I'm not gonna not going to blanket uh, approve that or, or uh, support that. But it is something to to investigate.
0: I do like the at least the optionality of that and making it around expectation. It's not around uh, candidate's willingness or likelihood to negotiate. It's based on their ability to contribute to the organization's goals. And so I think that, you know, to your point, we won't make any blanket statements here, but I, I love here in the variability. And I really like that it's, I mean, it makes sense, but it's a math equation that we're putting forth here. And an, an individual can then opt in to say, do they feel capable of contributing to that math equation?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Do you find as you go into organizations, let's say retroactively, like, right, it's one thing to come in at the beginning and help somebody set it up because there's not the baggage that comes with it. But you come into an organization that maybe has their handful of employees set forth; they are all over the board as far as comp plans. I imagine it's emotional to try to inflict change. Change is never easy. So how how do you all see that done? And, And does QuotaPath help with any of that? I'm curious from like a I think it's your observations, but then also just the the business that you're in. Are there certain things that you guys are solving for with those things with
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, within the Quotapath app, you can create different plan, different comp plans, assign them out mm-hmm. to specific people. If you have those unicorn plans or if everybody has a different plan, you can assign those out to, to specific people. With that said, it, it, again, there are instances where everybody having a slightly different plan makes sense for account managers they're not sure. all going to have the exact same book of business or it may be different quarter by quarter and so there there are instances where everybody may have to have a slightly different different uh, quota and so those are you know again something that that can be handled within quotapath but the actual change management is is difficult going in from I've seen instances of organizations where one person is earning a 25 percent commission on all of the deals they close and one person is earning a six percent commission on all of the deals they close and one person is going to be upset and the other person is likely to be happy unless you uh, just lower them all down to that six percent one person so it, it can be a very painful process for sure
0: is there a certain point in a company's growth outside of at the beginning do it right but is there a certain point in which you see that most organizations, are finding that I have to adjust, or is there no one specific recipe?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of it is is as soon as the uh whoever runs your compensation starts complaining enough about it because having go. to do uh having to do twenty five or thirty different compensation plans, you know different commission rates is is okay, but oftentimes i'll I'll see situations where somebody gets paid. On the number of logos they close, and somebody gets paid on the amount of revenue. One person gets paid on ARR, the other person gets paid on MRR, and so the standardization tends to be required at least to an extent at a certain point. And and it seems to be kind of the same stage where you break off into two team, two sales teams, which is Mm -hmm. maybe you're like, you know, once you get past. 10 salespeople, year, you're likely to have two, two separate sales teams. And that's around the time when standardization makes more sense.
0: Yeah, that's that's fascinating to me. And I, I, I'm I curious to hear the response from our audience, because this to me is so timely, especially as people are going in, if they work on a calendar year, going into you know Q4, fiscal planning for the next year and how they start to look at this. So we've talked a bit about the organization and the leaders of teams, how they set this forth. I'm curious what resources or maybe Quotapath has, or that you've seen, that the actual individual contributors might drive around, you know, conversations or comp plans, and and how they should be looking at this.
1: Yeah, for sure, it's fascinating. The number of times I have conversations with individual contributors or just sales or sales reps who don't really understand their compensation. They don't understand their comp plan. They know that they get paid a certain amount, but it's so confusing or it's so complex that they don't, they don't really get it. I know that if I close a deal, I earn about eight percent on it, um, unless it's a two-year deal and then I earn more, but I don't really understand exactly how much. And so mm-hmm. that transparency is is very or the, the lack of transparency can be very demotivating for for reps. And so I understand if if you're listening to this and you say, yeah, I don't understand how I get paid let me know. I uh, I always tell people you can go to meetwithgram.com. There's my calendar. Um, but we, I look at comp plans and, and dissect them and understand them every day. And we have a free version of Quotapath that allows reps to go in, enter their comp plans in, track their sales, um, you know, even integrate with Salesforce or, or CRMs and, and track their sales uh, and their, their commission accordingly. I, as an individual contributor, had a an Excel document. I still have it on my, uh, uh it's been turned into same, a Google doc.
0: Same, Graham. damn yeah. that Excel document. <laughs>
1: you know? Exactly. And and that's, that's what a lot of, I call myself and others like me, sales nerds. That's what a lot of sales nerds end up with is this, this Excel document that they're using to track their own sales, their own commission and, Hope that their their organization is doing the same. So that's one of the things that we're looking to do it at, at QuotaPath is provide that transparency across all people. So not just the director of sales ops who does all of this this calculating, but each individual rep as well. So encourage your uh, your sales ops person to check out a, a tool like QuotaPath as well.
0: Yeah, QuotaPath. I mean, I think that that gives the transparency. But say somebody's not to the point yet, or they're not mm-hmm. using that tool like that. In organizations, who do you find or where should the responsibility lie? Is it on the SDR? Is it on the team lead? Is it on the organization as a whole to report out what earnings should be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that each person is is in control of their own earnings. Um, obviously, the organization should get it right, but I would recommend everybody know exactly how much they get paid and ensure that it's correct because I... I uh if I had to ask your your listeners how many of them have had a, an incorrect commission check, I guarantee that almost everybody is nodding along right now. Um I I certainly have a few times.
0: Yeah, same same here and I think that, you know, the one thing that I I personally am very fascinated with um in QuotaPath or any tool and, and that is helping with this is the transparency across the board. I can't tell you how many hours of my time as a salesperson yeah. has been spent in that damn Excel sheet mm-hmm. and organizing it, emails back and forth, meetings to you know, lay out things, negotiations. It probably is at least a week's worth of time annually, if not more, that is spent figuring out the comp model versus doing the job that would help me get where I want to be. And so as I'm thinking about this of just efficiency of scale and and transparency and all the benefits that come with that, how that affects an organization, especially those that are high growth, to focus on what they should be focusing on rather than some of the the back end nuance.
1: Oh yeah. No, it's it sucks. It sucks doing commission. I've I've done it for teams. I've done it um myself. And a lot of that also starts at the top, starts at the the VP level of somebody building the, the compensation plan, making sure that it is easy enough to understand and not overly complex. I always, in my compensation, in my comp plan consult calls with people, I'll often just say like, no, simplify. They'll be like, well, okay, so we need to compensate on The number of years that they close the deal for, how quickly they pay it, and how many – no, simplify it, simplify it, simplify it. Like, I know that Quotapath allows you to automate all that stuff, but your reps should still have a pretty good understanding of how much they're going to get paid on a deal um, even without software.
0: I love that and when we think about motivation of reps, like it gets so complicated at times. I can imagine it's very demotivating. It's it's almost, it's not worth the headache, even if there's earning potential there, it's not worth a headache for me to spend time here. So outside of comp plans, you know, we talked about the public, private, we talked about some of the, you know, the cash versus pride. Are there any other components that you think about when it comes to motivation? And specifically in a team, I think about a team of 45. I don't my the largest team I've ever worked in is a team of five small professional services. So 45 member team blows my mind, especially from a sales perspective. So I'm curious of of what are some of the ways that you see comp plan or not that you're keeping teams motivated and excited and, and, you know, driving towards the goals?
1: Yeah, certainly. And, trust me I, I could not have run a 45 person team without um, without a, a set of wonderful managers I, I worked with a bunch of wonderful managers throughout that time so don't uh, don't think that I was doing it alone I, I I always tell people I was a I'm a mediocre SDR I'm a pretty good SDR leader and I understand the yeah. math and whatnot behind it but get me on a cold call and I'm actually just like just okay so um, but when it comes to motivating those those people, really the, the money is, is there for everyone, but you have to drill down and, and understand each individual person and, and what, what they really care about. Yes, the public and private, the, the money versus, um, versus pride, but sitting down and, and understanding each person. And so at the beginning of every month, I would sit down with, with each one of my SDRs, which again, was a, a bit of a, a chore every, uh, every month dedicate pretty much a half week to, to it. And we'd set goals. We'd set down. We'd set up um, because we had such a, a quick career track at Trendkite as well. Like, what are you hoping to do? Are you, you don't want to be an SDR forever? That job sucks. I mean, it just it's just not the right, most fun. just call it what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's uh, not. Yeah. It's all the hunting without getting to getting to experience the kill, and that's just it. so everybody does the SDR job. Everybody with an asterisk there um, does the SDR job because they want to move into a closing role. And so I would sit down with them and say, okay, let's set goals to get you to that next role. And to get to the next role is, it really accomplishes both, both the money side and the, the pride side. Uh, because right. hey, you got a promotion, it always feels awesome to get a promotion. So I would sit down with them, set these goals, and then translate them into actual outcomes. And so for my SDRs, their quota was centered around two things centered around sales accepted opportunities and revenue. And so I would say, okay, where are we good? Where are we bad? What, where, where did you struggle? How can we use your skills use where you you do really well? Okay, maybe you're really, really good at setting demos, but you're not very good at having those demos show up. And that's where you fall flat. Um, so how can we use your demo setting skills to help improve your demo show skills, mm-hmm. and br- break that down and, and help them um, really look toward the future for themselves?
0: I love that. I like the the thought around breaking down what the sales process is. Where do you win and how do you use your areas you win to help with the areas you have a deficit? And I don't, I don't know that everyone thinks of it that way. I think that, and that's a really good framing, in my opinion, as somebody that's led teams, to help somebody make it tangible to them. It's not just go fix this one thing. It's how do we innately lean into the things you're excellent at to help overcome that deficit. That's great.
1: Exactly.
0: All right, let's talk about sales trajectory, career trajectory, SDR. We talked about that and, and what should it look like? You know, I know you, you mentioned that SDR, like that's not anyway's dream gig. It's where you start, but maybe we can shine a little light and I'm sure it varies by organization, but what does a path look like? And maybe what does a compensation path look like if we could get into some of that?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I would lay out the compensation or not, sorry, the compensation. Well, we, we would lay that out as well. But um, I would lay out the the career path for SDRs um, during the first interview. Well, the first time I interviewed them, which was right. a phone screen, and then I would interview them. Um, and so I would lay that out for them from the very beginning. And I think that was one of the major reasons we were able to hire such high talent in in uh, Austin on the SDR team. I mean, we look around, some of the top, uh, top sellers in Austin came up through the SDR organization at TrendKite. And so I would lay that out from the very beginning. And for us, it was a very clearly defined, you start in this role after a certain number of months, we expect you to get to this role, but it's not just like a, you know, after four months, you're promoted. It's a, these are the clearly defined goals. And I think that's a major component as well, because oftentimes people who are a quote culture fit get promoted ahead of the people who are maybe just very good at their job, but don't don't fit the mold of what you'd expect somebody. And so we have these very clearly laid out goals for you to go from an SDR to a senior SDR. And that on average takes about four months or five months. I can't remember at this point, it's a few years ago. The fastest you could do it is three months because you have to hit three quotas in a row. Um, And then in order to move from a, a senior SDR to a junior AE, you have to do these five things. And one of them is, is learn how to demo the product. And so Part of the the career pathing is adding certain skills that you'll need in order to be successful in the next role and possibly dropping skills. So at at Mm. Trankite, we had a prospecting specialist role that then would turn into into an SDR and then a senior SDR. And by the time you hit the senior SDR role, you weren't expected to do any prospecting because that was being fed fed to you by the prospecting team, but it still helped build your skill set.
0: And it gave extreme empathy, I'm sure, for the people who were still in those roles and understanding the work they're doing. Like I, I really liked that a, a lot. I'm curious at Trendkite. I'm, I'm sure this was the case, but I imagine you had to hire, you know, people not necessarily being homegrown from all of those roles. You had to hire somebody at a AE role, net new. And so, in bringing them in, how do you, how did you approach that, or was there any specific things that you might have done around onboarding them? Because somebody that maybe started as a prospecting specialist that got to an AE, they have a very specific understanding of to your point your culture, how you guys train. Was there anything specific that you all do when you interject somebody mid trajectory?
1: Yeah, we we tried not to. We tried to ah, hire okay. hire entirely internally. But that that can be tough because you have to it's just like a, any deal cycle, you have to insert a lot of uh, stuff at the top of the funnel in order to get it down to the bottom of the funnel. Uh, I can think of I think a, I know of one person, a guy named Cam Smith, who's still at Trendkite. was acquired by Cision, So he's I think he's still a, a, at Cision. And he was one of our very first prospecting specialists became an inbound MDR or SDR outbound senior. Now he's like moved all the way up the chain in the uh, account executive line. And so but for the most part, we did have to hire those external folks. And so we tried to do kind of a crash course in all of those roles in the prospecting role, in the SDR role and the demoing role. It it took a while. It took a while for them to, to be fully ramped. It might have taken six months for somebody to be a fully ramped AE that was hired externally, whereas it would only take two months for an SDR who came in to, to come in and, and become fully ramped. So One of the major reasons we tried to avoid it. But yeah, we did like a crash course. I think the first two months, two or three months, they were effectively SDRs. And instead of it taking a year to get there, it took them two months.
0: Yeah. I'm fascinated just personally. You said you were the second salesperson and the the 10th employee. Creating structure amidst a high growth environment can be very challenging, right? You're feeding the beast while also trying to build the foundation to, to bring in new, new members of the team. And any tips and tricks of how you balance that? Because I mean, I'm sure some of it right now, it sounds lovely. I'm sure there were trips and falls along the way, like, right. Hindsight, you can always, you know, make it, make it a better story, but, I'm curious of just how you balance that about like knowing that you wanted to have homegrown talent, for instance. That's a pretty strong perspective and sounds like it served you all really well. Knowing what the timelines were to to step to the next thing and creating that structure. Was that your team? Was it in partnership with HR? I'm I'm just curious what that looked like.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of it was was done kind of accidentally because of of. Cost reasons; it's a lot, a lot cheaper to hire somebody out of college and train them to to be a, a seller than it is to hire a seller and have them, uh, you know, pay them a big base salary and and um, have them closing deals. And so part of it was was due to that being a, a scrappy startup, but some of it was intentional. We we had um, come from actually most of the organization when I joined had come from a, a competitor. A company called Meltwater uh, that competed directly with with Trendkite. and I came from a, a different competitor. I was working at Nasdaq at the time, and so we'd seen kind of in the industry what was working and what had worked, and so we were able to build a team and build a structure based on what we had seen successful in the past. And then a lot of it was experimentation. A guy who uh, was one of the very first employees as well, named Kay Fujita, he is one of the most brilliant like experimental minds because he's super creative, but he's also organized enough to say like, okay, let's look at this A, B test and see, did the, did sending this type of email or this time of day produce better results or did it produce the same or, or worse results? Uh, but he's able to, to come up with those ideas. So I, I would say that it, it's a lot of just trial and error, but quickly iterating on it and, so yeah, we we had a lot of failures as well. We tried to do a pod structure where we matched up two SDRs with three AES. That failed pretty miserably for us. We tried a bunch of different things.
0: Yeah, I I love hearing these stories, and especially you know when you were there from the beginning to the point that it scaled. I I could probably sit here all day and, and jam with you on this. And right. uh, given that we have people, you know, for their their half hour hour here, we'll we'll jump right back into our, to our topics. Okay. So, Graham, I guess you know if. If you're talking to our audience, think about the members of Revenue Collective or other sales leaders that maybe aren't members that are listening to this going into q four going looking at q one next year. What are some very tangible things you might suggest that they do when it comes to to planning and and comp,
1: yeah. For sure. Take a look at your comp plan and and try to remove half of the different components or different, we call them paths, the different way that you get paid, ways you get paid. Try to remove half of them. Um, And I'm I'm only half kidding there. Most of the time when I talk to people, there are four or five different components to the ways that people get paid. And that can provide confusion. And sometimes can provide the opposite of what you're looking, what you're hoping for. Um, People try to game comp plans and sometimes they misunderstand. And if they misunderstand, it means that they are doing the exact opposite of what you want. Um, I've, I've talked to an organization where they said, once we rolled out QuotaPath, people started closing two-year deals. And I said, well, yeah, you're paying them more than twice as much for them. And they were like, yeah, but they didn't understand that. And so now they're closing two-year deals. And I'm like, why didn't you explain it better? And so try to cut back. As many of the different components of the the comp plan that you can, and make sure that everybody understands the comp plans. They're, so often it's they're not understood. Even if you feel like you built it well, or if your finance person built it, make sure that it, it, it's digestible. It's like trying to read if it's like trying to read the terms of service for iTunes. Then then it's not a good comp plan. It should be very simple and and laid out very clearly for them.
0: And so any general rule of thumbs, I know you mentioned, you know, for instance, like a five X earning that you should see, and then a split between base and and bonus or, you know, variable comp, any other baselines that you would tell individuals or sales leaders here to to be thinking of?
1: Yeah. In about 75% of my comp plan consults, these, these two rules come up, which is number one, exactly what you said, take the on target earnings, cut it in half. That's your, your base salary. And the other half is your commission. Then take your on-target earnings, multiply it by five. That's what the the quota should be. Obviously, there are a lot of exceptions to that if they're selling professional services or if they're selling multi-year deals, but that's a good starting point for you. The second one is is on SDR compensation. There are two pure forms of SDR compensation. There is the pay them for every cold call they make or pay them for every deal, every dollar of the deal that, that gets closed. Anything that isn't one of those two is not going to be an exact science. Not saying you shouldn't use those. In fact, I, paying everybody for every cold call they make isn't right. And paying people for revenue they generate isn't right if you have a sales cycle that's more than my rule is, is 100 days. But just trying to find the middle point there where you have sort of a, 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 an indicator or a litmus test of there is good revenue here. So find... If you aren't going to compensate them on cold calls or, or revenue, find a, a midpoint that is very, very clearly defined. What an opportunity is, what a demo is, what a qualified meeting is, and try to make it as fair as possible.
0: I love this. Transparency, science, I heard you say making it an exact science, trying to make it an equation, like, right, let's not let's remove emotion or this feels good, let's put it truly into to what someone needs to contribute and then consistency across the board. Those are things I've taken out of this that I I don't know that I knew coming into it. So I'm grateful to, for the day, the time today, Graham. And I I have no doubt that our audience is going to be pumped to get these really tangible and um, actionable insights. So thank you.
1: Yeah, of course. Happy to uh, happy to join you today.
0: Awesome. So last question for you. If people want to get in touch with you. You've said that you, you work with a lot of the Revenue uh, Collective members or other folks out there. How should they find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, if you are a Revenue Collective member, um, it's Graham Collins on there. You can you can DM me or even in my uh, in my bio, I have a link to my calendar. If you're not a Revenue Collective member, I mentioned it earlier, but meetwithgram.com is my, my calendly as well. And so feel free to, to book some time there. Or I'm also on LinkedIn and um, I think it's just linkedin slash graham collins so. you're searchable is what i'm hearing i, am, you are, I you are am well
0: optimized for the engine
1: there there is a canadian guy who owns grahamcollins.com if he's listening to this i would love to buy that from you um you but, you right uh, first? yeah but and and then it's just a bunch of englishmen englishmen named graham collins and, and then there's me
0: does ring very English, so I, yeah. I see that. Yeah. All right, Graham, this has been great. I am so glad that we had a member of our sponsors team, Quotapath, yeah. and we'll see you again next time. Take care. This is Thanks. Casey Gordon, and I'm your host. All right, that's a wrap on another great Revenue Collective podcast. I am so grateful that Graham Collins chose to join us. You heard it from him directly. Go to meetwithgram.com to find out more about him and find time to meet with him. This episode was brought to you by QuotaPath. QuotaPath is the first radically transparent end-to-end compensation solution from sales reps to finance. Get started for a free at QuotaPath.com and your next commission cycle could be totally automated. I have to say, I wish I had known about QuotaPath in a past life because that sounds pretty darn good. All right, this is Casey Lett-Gordon. I'm your host and I'm grateful you tuned in. See you next time. Raise up,